And the City A season is finally a wrap after, well, just about 12 months. Uh, Richard checked out early after Hubei won the title, had no interest in the rest of the season, took a well-deserved vacation. I got the State of Play pod boys with me to uh, go through and hand out all of the awards. So let's have a sit down. Ciao ragazzi and welcome to City A Sit Down Review della Madonina. I'm Frank Crivello. Richard Carmen's not here, uh, but we have brought the gentleman from the State of Play Pod, uh, earning his first cap, the producer and host of State of Play Pod, Martino Puccio. Ciao, Martino. Hello, Frank. Uh, hello, Richard, if you're watching uh, somewhere and everyone else in the chat. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for uh, inviting us on. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for uh, stepping in and joining us uh, and earning his third cap with the City I Sit Down, the co-founder, co-host, and digital media manager of the State of Play Pod, co-founder of AC Milan Brothers, featured on Guardian, AS Roma English, These Footy Times, and International Champions Cup, Matthew Santangelo. Ciao, Matthew. Ciao, Frank. Thanks for having me back on for the third time. I feel like I'm... Uh... I'm maybe you know maybe squeezing into Mancini's plans for next for next Euro. So <laughs> yeah, I got three caps under my belt, feeling pretty good. But it's got to be back you know, on. He needs fullbacks. Can you play fullback? Uh, hey, I'll play wherever it takes me. <laughs> I won't play fullback. I don't play defense. And true to form, my <laughs> eight-year-old son doesn't play defense either. Uh, Evan Morris, George Widmer, checking in, child gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Um, we have a lot to unpack. I mean, really, there were uh, two match weeks uh, or match days since we last left you. And really, all that's left to talk about are a couple of topics that we're going to hammer away uh, pretty quickly. Genoa survives the drop. Uh, it ended up being pretty straightforward. They beat Hellas Verona. Uh, Lecce uh, and Parma turned out to be quite the show. Parma ended up winning 4-3. But on, nonetheless, Lecce goes down with Brescia and Spall. Um, Martino, will uh, start with you. Um, you know, I think we had just you know, Genoa had just enough talent to survive this, uh, but Lecce, you know, certainly uh, made it interesting. And if you're going to go down, entertain us, and that's what they did. Yeah, look, I mean, I it's definitely disappointing. I know a lot of people that were rooting for uh, for Lecce to stay up, and a lot of people just hired a Genoa in general. I know a lot of Milan fans for extenuating circumstances. But, look, yeah, they, they made it thrilling. 3-4 Parma, again, kind of flashes of when Menez had that back heel as well, you know, whenever you see all those goals uh, in a matchup with Parma. And then, again, you're right. Like, Genoa, just, they just always just have enough to stay afloat. Um, and kind of kind of surprised a little bit by Hellas giving up three because they've been so stout defensively, in my opinion, all season. And to see them give up three, you thought it would have been a little bit tighter for most of it. But, you know, a couple red cards in there as well. So, yeah, typical say, yeah. Matt, I'm always a big fan of conspiracy theories and probably have seen from my tweets and some of the things that I've said on this podcast. Um, Ivan Juric. Had a couple of stints there at Genoa. Maybe uh, still enjoys the city, still enjoys the club, and now he's manager of Hellas Verona. Any anything in there that suggests that maybe he wanted to do his old employer a solid? It's 
possible, right? I think there's certain <laughs> clubs that I think there's certain there's lots certain clubs over the years that just always like you know flirt with relegation, flirt with the drop, and like you know Kievo, I know was a team that always did that, and you know it. I think when we look to the beginning of the year, it's funny because we're talking about the two different Veronas, right? We have Kievo and Elas, uh, you know, the city rivals. And I think when me and Martino did our, our, our um, season preview, I think I had Elas Verona going down because I didn't think they would be this organized out the back. You know, they had a lot of unknown names, Kumbula, Amarat, a couple other players in the squad that we'll, we'll get into, I'm sure. But they, yeah, they've, they've risen to the occasion and they were um, even a, Euro- a Europa League contender. I think they overthrew Cagliari at one point as like the surprise team of the year. They had a little little falling off out of the restart, which is, again, I think something that happened with a lot of clubs and they weren't quite able to pick it up, but they survived. They're in there another season. And I think you all things considered, um, did a pretty decent job. And of course, he's able to keep his former employer uh, afloat as well, which I'm sure um, Preciosi really appreciates. Yep. Uh, and Davide Nicola, of course, manager of Genoa. We all remember the job he did bringing Crotone out of the drop, you know, a few years ago. So he's got a little bit of experience uh, at this as well. Um, you know, so Lecce go down and there are going to be some players that are going to be there for the taking that are going to find work remaining in City. Uh, Filippo Falco is certainly going to attract some attention. Um, Ricardo Saponara is a City journeyman at this point, probably going to stay as bad as he was. Uh, Kuma Babakar may end up somewhere with a City team because he may end up having compromising pictures of uh, – club presidents and managers, uh, you know, for any other reason. God, he was terrible when he joined Lecce. Um, you know, and then you have Gianluca Lapadula. So there's a handful of guys here um, that, uh, you know, certainly are, are going to find new homes. Brescia as well. Doc- yep. Br- Br- who's that? Gabriel. Keeper. Gabriel, the goalkeeper for sure. Um, and then you have Brescia. We know about Sandro Tonali. There's a couple of other players in there in the mix that could possibly uh, – Ernesto Torregrosso was really good. Um, Patania's leaving Spall. Uh, you know, so uh, highlight – I mean, out of the three that are facing the drop, maybe some of these players here. You know, get, you know, Martino, I'll start with you. Give me a couple players out of those three facing the drop and where you'd like to – where you think they'd fit. Yeah, so I think Torregrosso is probably the one that impressed me the most – because Donnarumma was actually the guy when Brescia was coming up that he was supposed to be the one making yep. that kind of impact for them, and mm-hmm. that could have possibly kept them up in, in the top flight for another year. Um, but it, it just wasn't that. But every time we faced them, uh, or any time I watched them on the on the TV or ESPN Plus, it was him that was stepping up. So yeah. I don't know. Like sometimes you could see him maybe going to another squad like Sassuolo does. Do they get rated potentially somehow? Is that like a name they just pluck out of nowhere? Because they have Francesco Caputo scoring all these goals too, you know? So what if uh, Deserbi wants to work his magic on him there? Um, so I, I just I just think him. Uh, some, maybe Gabriel as well. I, I just think there's so many good goalkeepers, and, and now we see how impactful they are. I think a lot more people are understanding that you you could pick up two to three points here and there each match week if you have a great performance. So I, I think he's another guy uh, as well. Yep, Matt, how about you? A couple players from the, the from the three facing the drop that you'd like to see stay in Serie A, and 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 where you think they best fit. Yeah, I think, you know, Martino covered a handful of names there. I think they're all great shouts. And it's funny, too, because we talked about, um, you know, Empoli. They were a team that got relegated last year. And, of course, obviously, Milan got Ismail Benacer from them. They got Rad Krunic. Uh, Hama Jr. Traore went to Sassuolo. So 
there is some talent in that squad. And of course, as you mentioned, Caputo for seven and a half million euro, I believe, had a breakout season. So yep. there's certainly value in a lot of these relegated sides, despite them making the drop, that can really make a difference for those teams that maybe lack depth or you know they need a, another another defender. Even Sabelli's another one who I thought was really good for Brescia at times. You know, Balotelli, I know, you know, everyone was banking on the Alfredo Donnarumma Balotelli tandem to maybe keep Brescia up. Maybe they'll score some goals, they'll let in a, a ton, but they'll be able to at least, you know, shock some people. And I'm actually shocked that Lecce didn't pull this off because they stole points from Juve, Inter, Napoli. They were a team that really you know, contested really heavily against some of the top clubs and you thought they were maybe going to do. But yeah, I think they're, they're, that's going to be one of the biggest things to watch here is a lot of these teams, aside from Tanali, of course, you know, he'll he'll obviously demand a, a big fee and a lot of attention. Inter and Milan seem to be fighting it out for him. But there's going to be a lot of these players that when you look back to, you know, the market and then when the season starts, you're going to look, where did this player go? Where is this? Oh yeah, like he was a, a huge contributor and when it comes down to the strikers, too, I just want to really briefly touch on Caputo. When you have a, a player like a Lapadula, for instance, a journeyman who played at Milan, he played at some of these other clubs, and he had, like, I think, 11 goals in 25 appearances for Lecce, you maybe put him in a team that has a little bit more supporting cast. Maybe yep. he is a player who can get 13 to 14. We saw what he did at Pescara years ago, winning the Capo Canieri down there. So there's definitely some value in some of these relegated, relegated sides. Yeah, for sure. You know, I... I'm on. I'm on the same page. I, I think that the goalkeepers, uh, Gabriel, is a great shout. I, I think Jonan was very good for Brescia. I think that there were a lot of games that Brescia were closer in because of him. Um, and I mean, it was a glaring, glaring difference in how that team defended when Andonacci was in goal for the space of a couple of games. Granted, one of them was against Atalanta. That's just going to happen, um, you know. But they looked a lot less organized. I mean, my God, when you have Nikola Kalianic bossing the 18-yard area against you, you're not very good. Um, and then, uh, you know, so Joranen is a guy that I think isn't going to have any trouble finding work if if there's a goalkeeper that's interested in him um, or if there's a team that's interested in his services as a goalkeeper, I should say. Um, and I think that uh, I'm on I'm on your side. I love the uh, Tore Grossa shout. I think that he's that striker that I think has the chance to be Francesco Caputo next season, depending on if he can land in the right spot. So uh, I think some of these mid-table clubs that are going to be desperate for striker helper are, are certainly going to, uh, you know, inquire of his services. So, uh, you know, definitely like uh, like all of those things that are being said there. So let's move on to the other um, uh, race that was settled, and it involved individual players, the Capo Cananieri. Um, Ronaldo does not score against Cagliari, although – he went out of his way to try, and Alessio Cranio went out of his way to make sure he didn't. Um, <laughs> and uh, you had uh, Chiro Immobile, of course, you know, who scored at midweek to make it, put him on 35, put Ronaldo on 31. Juve makes the decision, and I think, you know, they did this with Ronaldo's blessing, obviously, that um, it was not important for him to play against Roma to try to score five goals and to try to burn himself out when there's a big Champions League game coming up against Lyon. So Chiro Immobile is Capocananieri, 36 goals. I'm doing victory laps on that. I'm doing victory laps on saying Pioli was going to be a great manager for Milan. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm too fat to be doing all these victory laps. I'm actually really tired. I'm glad the season is over. But anyway, um, Chiro Immobile ties Gonzalo Higuain's record. Um, Matt, uh, 36 for Immobile, 36 for Higuain. Who did it better? 
I'm going to say it's it's Napoli, uh, not Napoli, because I'll be going to from mm-hmm. Napoli. And the reason why I say that is because obviously there's the discrepancy or the the, the difference in, in penalties, right? I think, you know, 36 goals, only three of them, I recall, are penalties. And that's, I mean, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot. That's 33 goals from open play. I know that Napoli side, he was uh, involved with Maurizio. Sorry, they had a ton of players in that squad that were very good. But it was kind of the perfect fit for him. And I know Lazio, they had just a breakout here. Now, I know... With Amole, he's done this before. He's proven he could be a, a, a guy, a goal scorer who can score. And, and by the bulk, he did it. Torino, he did it. Um, you know, Lazio, a couple, you know, many, many years. He's, I think, they're approaching their all-time leading scorer. I believe he maybe even is their leading scorer, um, or is approaching that right soon. So it, it's for me. I think you know, no one's diminishing what Immobile accomplished. Uh, a sensational feat, and I think what maybe will give him more uh, credibility and more. Uh, people leaning in his his camp is the fact that he outscored everyone. He got the golden boot across the board. You know, it was he you know, surpassed Lewandowski. He surpassed Ronaldo. He surpassed Messi. When you do those sorts of things, I don't care if you do 12 penalties, 50 penalties, 20 penalties, that's going to stand out quite a bit. And I think ultimately the one thing that would have maybe solidified his status on the world stage would have been his, you know, performance at, at the, the now – you know, canceled Euro. I think that would have been something that can really solidify his status. But as far as the seasons go, I'm going to go with Iguain, but I think there's nothing you could take away from Immobile. He's been fantastic. Bob Lex says, Frank, what's the lottery numbers if you're that good at predicting? If if I knew the lottery numbers, I wouldn't be doing this. Okay. I promise you. <laughs> so um, I guess it only relates to certain Calcio uh, takes. So uh, Martino, who did it better? Iguain. Um, look, also, I, I think it's just the way the league was working this year, too. The Juve allowed 43 goals. That is the second mm-hmm. highest all-time for a Serie A Scudetto winner. Um, I think that just tells you where the league's at right now. I think overall, it's not as strong as it was a few years ago, and certainly not as strong as it was, you know, back when even Luca Toni was doing it, right? Uh, getting over 30. Um, and, and we talked about the statistic that pops up all the time. How many guys is a very small amount of guys who have scored over 30 goals in the league's history since like 1960, right? We had two this year and they, and it was inflated by penalties and it's no disrespect. You still have to score those penalties at the end of the day. I'm happy you look like a genius because you picked Immobile over it. Um, but at the end of the day, to me, it's just, if anyone's played, you know how difficult it is to just score in open play. And in that league, and, you know, for me, it's just Higuain. And there's no disrespect to Immobile. And to Matt's point, like outscoring all those guys too, I mean, kudos to you. You still have to score at the end of the day, and he stepped up. Just do it next summer, please. That's all I care about. That Please, just do it then. I also think with – I just want to add real quick. I also think with Immobile, it's another fascinating thing too, is that he had nine assists, like – that's a lot for a striker too. You know, mm-hmm. I think if you look down the board of the strikers who were kind of neck and neck with him, I know Ronaldo maybe had a handful of assists, some of different variety, but in terms of goal contribution, like Immobile had a, a fantastic year and he's going to have one for the record books for sure. Obviously all the Ronaldo fanboys are going to look to Ronaldo because, <laughs> sure. you know, it's, he's Ronaldo, but and I think that maybe can take away some of his, his spot. You know, when we look back on this year, but at the same time, again, Ronaldo, they has 30 something goals. He's got the, he was the only player to do it. I think in the top, you know, La Liga, Premier League and Serie A. So he's got all these sorts of stats and facts to back him up. But again, two fantastic seasons. And I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, these sorts of seasons are coming out from these sorts of players because then it's kind of changing the, 
the unfair stereotype that maybe outsiders of Calcio have of Serie A being defensive, boring, not enough goals. And as you can tell, it was one of the biggest, you know, and most potent goal scoring seasons um, in, in recent memory, especially with, of course, Atalanta as well. Sure. Um, I'm going to just play devil's advocate a little bit here. Um, I mean, I, I, I have no problem with you saying Iguain. I'm not going to fight anybody that's going to say Iguain's was more impressive. You know, it took a hat trick against Frozenone on the last day, uh, you know, to get to that 36 number. The next highest scorer that season was Paulo Dybala at 19. Okay, so Chiro Immobile had to had to achieve this mark with Cristiano Ronaldo breathing down his neck, you know, at 31. That's not, you know, we're talking about, you know, one of the best players of the last 20 years, uh, you know, and certainly you know, someone that's going to eat at the table among the greatest to ever play this game. Um, so that's where I would want to say that, you know, okay, penalties, they're part of the game. They're going to happen. Um, you know, and did Immobile have an abundance of penalties? Yes. Did Ronaldo have an abundance of penalties? Yes. But, you know, Iguain didn't really have a challenger, uh, you know, when he stepped in and got his 36. Uh, Immobile had Ronaldo chasing him down, uh, you know, and at one point, you know, for 30 minutes, Ronaldo pulled ahead of him, uh, you know, in the same game. So, um, you know, so to be able to do that. And, and, and for me, it just made sense to pick Immobile at the beginning of the season because, you're talking about a Lazio team that added Manuel Atsadi on the right wing, which was probably the most perfect fit for a transfer uh, that you could have asked for when you're taking a look at how this, how it all panned out or how the summer was going. Sergei Milinkovic-Savic and Luis Alberto weren't going to suck two seasons in a row. Um, you know, and then they had contributions from other positions. So we, I felt like Lazio was going to be a, a high scoring team this season and who's going to benefit, but Chiro Immobile, cause we've seen him do it before. I, 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 I struggle with trying to decide who did it better. I, I, you know, I'm going to just say Immobile and just, just to be different from what you guys said. And I've got no problem with what you guys said at all, mm -hmm. but I'm only saying it because CR seven was right there and was breathing down his neck the whole time, uh, especially when this season restarted. So do you, do you think that helped him though? So like when your competition brings out the best in people, right. And I think that's something that is always kind of said. So like if they're pushing each other, kind of like Messi and Cristiano did for much of their primes, they were just reaching new heights that way. Do you think that kind of impacted this race? Like if Cristiano wasn't there, do we think he mobile gets the 36? Is he pushing for it? Cause you could see sometimes in some of these games, he's, he was gunning for, that record and he wanted it and I'm not taking away from him. I'm just saying like, I'm like genuinely asking, I think it might've been a factor. In it. Um, I think that there is some truth to that for sure. Because I think whenever, we, whenever we had, you know, Messi at Barcelona and, and Ronaldo at Real Madrid, and then they were playing, one was playing Tuesday. The other was playing Wednesday in the champions. Like it's all right. The guy on Wednesday can't wait to get out there because he wants to better what the guy did on Tuesday. Um, you know, so I definitely think that there's some truth to that. I think competition, you know, for a scoring title or anything else is definitely going to motivate you. So, you know, no, no problem with that take whatsoever. Uh, can we stop having Ronaldo take free kicks, please? He, he stopped, didn't he? <laughs> so a <laughs> good take. I like that. So, you know, I, I, I mildly edge Chudo Immobile for the, you know, for the reasons that I, that I, that I say. So, um, but I, you know, certainly not taking away from the season that Gonzalo Higuain had. Um, 
so we, you know, penalties, let's just transition into that because that's definitely a talking point with this season. And, uh, you know, the guys at IFTV had a graphic showing that, you know, City Odd practically lapped uh, the field uh, when it comes to the major European leagues in terms of penalties awarded and taken and so forth. So um, is this a bad look for City or is it, hey, those are penalties. They have to be called. Matt. Um, it, it's tough because I think you know, there's so many there's so many obviously penalties that are maybe taken away and were given via VAR. Um, and for me, I think the biggest thing that kind of contributed towards look, there's going to be a, the bulk of them. I would say probably seventy five to eighty percent of them. You're going to like okay, like these are clear cut penalties, guys yeah. down and you know hand clear handball. You know, obviously we know the league's per issue with that the entire year, so he's probably got like a tenth of them himself. <laughs> um, but you know, as far as the penalties go, you know the I think that the biggest focus is going to be, well, why is it so much distant from some of these other leagues? Again, you have to look at it with the Bundesliga a little bit differently because there's less games or less teams. But even then, you know, if, if they were just clear cut beyond that. So what, what was the factor for that? And I find that a lot of it was just, you know, maybe the, the issues with the, the, the handball, you know, coming into play. I know that there was a ton of them that, that affected the Milan games, you know, um, obviously since the restart, Milan had better good and more, more fortune and good luck, but I, I think that was something that's going to contribute that contributed to it. I'm not saying it was some of the conspiracy theory. I know Frank, you talked about that off the top. Um, <laughs> you know, as as something that say, hey, let's try and get more goals injected into this league. Let's get more attention. At the same time, I think it's look. I think the benefits from it. I I anticipate that there's no regret to the mean next year. Um, I think certain teams that are you know very offensively adept will create chances, and when you create chances, you make things happen. You get those penalty situations. Yep. You get those sorts of instances that come up, and I think it's probably going to be one of those years. And next year, we'll see a little bit more of a drop off. Sure, Martino. Um, do I think? I think knowing there's a lot of idiots on Twitter, I think that it affects their perception of it because they just <laughs> think it's a a farmers league, and they, and they and they know the history, right? There, there's a lot of dark shadow skeletons in the closet in this league, right? We've we've had scandals. Uh, our dominant champion as well. Like we know what they did. And even Milan, you go back to the '80s. We got relegated too for it. You know, we we're not like you know scot free on this uh, scenario. But look, it, it hurts because at the end of the day, like if you have to constantly each match question whether or not something was or wasn't a handball, when usually years past everyone was mostly on in agreement on what a handball was now, no one knows. And that's an issue that we only see in, in Italy. And for me, it hurts because at the end of the day, you, if we want more fans watching this league, if we want, if we want it to grow, we got to have transparency. We got to have rules that make sense. And for me, it just didn't make sense. Um, and then it puts stains on records like Immobile and what Cristiano were doing. Right. Because, because uh, no one really wants to see, that many penalties no one does even I even feel like some of the players right because you love it when you get them and then you hate them when you don't so at the end of the day I think it hurts them and my question is this there's a short turnaround to this new season how are they going to figure this out like are they going to they going to make this change out of nowhere and, and what the perception of a handball is now because I think there's a big question mark if I have to give credit though to the referees by and large as much as the volume of penalties that we think are ticky-tack handballs, 
mm-hmm. they've at least been consistent in calling all of them penalties. Sure. You know, yeah. um, there might be the stray one or two that said, well, how come you didn't call this? And you're going to have that everywhere. So, um, you know, so at a, at a minimum, I think you have to credit the, at least the consistency, whether, you know, if it's con- a consistent mistake to keep making that call. And then to Matt's point, you got so much attacking football now going on in Serie A that penalties are going to get created out of it. Uh, you know, when you look at the way Atalanta play Napoli, Lazio, you know, maybe Napoli aren't the Saudi ball that they, that they used to be. They certainly aren't under Gattuso. Um, you know, Roma with the way they do things, Milan, of course, the last several games under Pioli. I mean, uh, you're going to attack, you're going to go at people, you're going to create penalties. And then it also speaks maybe, you know, in terms of a, a bad look, you know, the bottom third of this league is really bad. I mean, the quality is poor. Um, and the three teams that are going down, there's they're going down because their defenses are horrible. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, Lecce gave up 85, Brescia gave up 79, Spall gave up 77. There's no coincidence there that those are the three going down. And you had Genoa at 73, fourth worst, that survived. So, um, you know, so there are some there are some poor defenses in this league that has also contributed to a spike in the goals in this league too. So, you know, you've got the combination of all of those things working. And if you have bad defenses, they're going to make bad mistakes. They're going to react. They're going to be caught trying to sprint to run down a guy, and they're going to run him down to the penalty area, and they're going to get there late, and the referee's going to point to the spot. So, you know, I think the combination of those things maybe, and then how the handball is interpreted without intensively watching the other leagues, you know, it's you might have to justify that this many penalties just because of how everything is being interpreted. So um, I'd like to see it go down. I'd like to see a regression next season. I'd like to see games getting one in open play. Um, But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens with that. So, um, you know, moving on and just a final thing at the top, um, you know, we know the, we know the champions league places are Juventus, um, Inter, Atalanta, uh, and Lazio. We know that the Europa League places are Roma and Milan in the group stage and Napoli qualifying. Now, I have not done my homework on UEFA to find out if Napoli somehow win the Champions League and qualify as holders, if that bumps Lazio into the Europa League and it bumps Milan into qualifying, if if they're trying to keep it at a max of four teams or not. I didn't, I didn't have the time to take a look at that. If Somebody listening to this podcast or watching. I, I, I know the scenario. So, oh, the, so you can you can send five teams from okay. your league to the Champions League. So, but the funniest scenario in which I'm sure Roma fans would love this. Roma's still in the Europa League. Napoli's still in the Champions League. If they both win those tournaments, Napoli wins the Champions League, Roma wins the Europa League, fourth place gets knocked to Europa League. <laughs> so can oh. you imagine Roma fans finally winning a European trophy and it gets Lazio knocked back down into the Europa League? That's a scenario that could happen. Um so yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought I'm glad you did the homework on this because I just didn't have time to. Oh, and Milan's man. in the preliminary rounds, by the way, because Napoli's automatically in the group because they Is won that what Copa happened? Italia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Milan okay. had to finish ahead of Roma in order to get in the group stage. So was, we are going to be playing Krakowia and those types of teams. Again. Uh sticky. Sticky FC, <laughs> yeah. Whatever that team sticky was. FC, right. yeah. Yeah. 
Sweet. I can't wait. <laughs> oh my. We had a sellout crowd at the San Siro to play sticky and uh, whoever the <laughs> other God awful team was, that was brilliant. Um, <laughs> so um, Richard and I touched on this um, last week and I wanted to get your guys perspective on this. Juve makes it nine in a row. Um, so your takes, Richard and I just looked at this as maybe the weirdest. This is the weirdest championship I could remember, not even just because of COVID, um, but because when the restart happened, Juve were dropping enough points to make this interesting, and you had three possible contenders that didn't want it. Matt, you can go. Matt? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this is – I tweeted about this, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, that this was out of this entire dynasty that they've built – spanning three different coaches. Obviously, Conte started with Allegri in between and now Maurizio Sarri. This was the most beatable Juve. And, you know, obviously, it was you can tell, right? Because I think Maurizio Sarri, many people are saying he did a pretty good job, all things considered, the fact that he didn't have the players that he needed to play his style of football. Um, now, whether or not, you know, you can say that's something that should excuse them is is another conversation to be had. Again, next year, they could come out. They can be uh, that much better. They can come back and be the team that's much more stout defensively don't drop as many points and maybe they just run away with the league, you know, like they have been in most of these years. But, you know, when I look at Juve, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where with them being the most beatable in years, a lot of those other teams fumbled the bag, they dropped the ball. And it's something telling about the actual, not the quality of players, because I think those other teams have shown that they do have, you know, on, on, for the most part on par quality with Juve, at least this year. It was a mentality thing. It was one of those things where, like, even when Juve, they were the only team that even when they just weren't playing their best, they just found a way to bend but not break. And we saw that after the restart. And I talked about it. I know we, me and Martino talked about it at length on our podcast and some of the other podcasts we've been on. You know, it was that was going to be the biggest, most fascinating thing coming out of the break was which teams stumble, which teams can find a way to just navigate the first couple rounds. And we saw that Lazio were always behind Inter. They have their dysfunction now, obviously, with Conte. They were dropping points. And Juve just seemed to be the team that it was sloppy. It was gritty. It was kind of, you know, in, in more of a, more ways, Italian fashion, right? A team that it's not always attractive the way they win, but the, the World Cup being one of them. But they found a way to get the job done. And they wound up winning the league by one point over Inter. And you look at it and you're like, wow, one point. Inter made this, I think, the tightest title, um, the closest title race, I think, since 2010, 2011, if I'm correct. So it really didn't feel like that. It was that close for the entire stretch, maybe since the Napoli Juve of, of a couple of years ago. So it, that's going to be interesting to see how Juve build from this. Is it a more of a sign that? Maybe they are ending ending towards their cycle because football works in cycles. Or are they a team that takes us as a reality check and saying, hey, Atalanta, Lazio, Inter, these teams are coming for us. We got to get our act together. And maybe this pushes Juve and motivates them more to go out there on the market, get the players they need, you know, build a team that is ready to sustain this dominance in 10 years would be crazy to think that's 10 years of them winning the league they do it next year so hopefully it's someone that knocks them off and of course i know martino's wearing milan jacket so <laughs> if it's milan that would be very fitted because they were the last team to win the scudetto not named juve i think you're on mute frank i can't hear frank, frank i think Is you're on mute oh uh, there we are um, <laughs> the man himself said it if i'd been with milan from the beginning of the season we would have won the title <laughs> so it's hey, 
it's 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 possible. I think you saw that Juve were so vulnerable at so many times. I think the restart thing, it was so telling. I have mine so too telling. in my closet. <laughs> it was so telling that you know even when I mean look what Milan did to Juve four two. They've never you would never they haven't been that embarrassed since the Champions League final. Right, yeah. like which you, I had to they, bring up. They would never do that. They would never. Is that down to the cycle? Is it down to the coach? Is it down to uh, someone else just being the team next up? I don't know, but you know, for no one to at least come up there, and I think you may, some people will say, well, if there's if the COVID didn't come up, Lazio would have done it or Inter would have done it. I don't know about that because until a team actually dethrones them, you have to give them that proper respect as a team that okay, you have to respect us that we're not going to relinquish this until we get beat. You can't give up on us that quickly. And even when Juve had all those injuries, you know, to obviously Chiellini went out, Demerol went out. They were they were very thin in certain areas, and the midfield is not very strong. Who was it? It was Dybala, Ronaldo, the Licht, carrying that team. So that's that just pro- that just proves the point that you know if we're going to talk about Juve's season, that even how dysfunctional and how sloppy they've played and unattractive football they've played, they still have Ronaldo. And he's the type of player that can ultimately make the difference. And I think this year you saw that. Martino, is this the weakest Juventus of the nine uh, of the last nine champions? I want to say yes. It's in a vacuum watching them every single week. You were just like, like they're going to win, but that's just, that's not the scary Juve. Like I wasn't scared of them each time Milan played them. I thought, okay, if we give them a strong, like, you know, 60, 70 minutes, keep it close. Like if you just get one, there's points to be had there. When when we were facing them, when they had the Marquisio, Pirlo, um, Vidal, Pogba midfield, there was, it was clear you knew who was the best. This time, I think there were more questions, but they won it. Now, I think they realize that they had those questions and they need to be answered. They already have Kulusevsky coming in next year. Yep. Demi, like, are they going to have two torn ACLs for center backs again? I don't think so. Hmm. Um, they're going to fix that right back position. They're going to retool and reload. This is what they do. And some of the other teams here, you know, they don't have a his- – like Lazio doesn't have a history of reloading and, and adding to their team. They historically don't do great when they have a condensed schedule. They're going to have to play in the Champions League now on top of that going into the, to next year, right? So, for me, it's it's the same as it's ever been for the past 20 years if we really look at it, guys. There's been three teams that have won this title. It's Inter, Milan, Juve. Besides the two, two Roma clubs that won – Back to back years. Oddly enough, when Lazio and Roma both won it, I think it's going to eventually have to come down to one of the Milan clubs to do it because I feel so bad for Napoli. Napoli was probably one of the best second place teams I've ever seen in my life in any sport. Maybe the 73 win Warriors. I don't know if anyone knows that reference. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Patriots when they lost to the Giants. But I, it's, I hate it, man. I think it's going to be 10 again. I just I just don't see it. And especially with this Conte drama today, too, with mm, Inter. It's, to you know, it, yeah. it's just another wrench in their plans. It's I, I just don't see it. Anyway. Everyone called them. They were Everyone christened them anti-Juve. They had that great start. They were in first place. Everyone's like, they got Conte. They're building this project. They got all these players. And it's more dysfunction. Like, if you're an Inter fan, you're like – and I think that's kind of one of those funny things that we look at as a Milan fan, right? As Milan fans, you know, you, you know here – in general, is you know what? Say what you want. Looking at the way the season is, yeah, Milan would have liked to be in the top four, no doubt about it. But they have some sort of 
at least some sort of guarantees for next season in the sense that they don't have this drama with their coach. Mm-hmm. They don't have this sort of blow up. Okay. But I have certain players in the squad that maybe are looking around and saying, I joined here for Conte and his project and now Conte may leave. And then you got Allegri coming in possibly as a rumor. So you look at all these teams, you look at all these factors and you're thinking like you, they are clear, like clear cut in my opinion, the favor to win it again next year. And it's like, it's it just it, the key. It just keeps going for them, and you know, you know, you touched on some of these additions that they're possibly going to make. Kulusevski's already in. Arthur's in the midfield. That was a been a big yep, focus yeah, for them over too. the years, and that's also another wake up call. I think this was the one year where you looked at it and you're like, wow, like Pjanic wasn't the same. He was looks like he was declining. He's on his way out. Matuidi, uh, Rabio looked promising towards the end of the season. Iguainoli, like, those are massive wages. Curves. So the point I'm trying to make is that, like, I think there was a lot of glaring issues and and really reality checks and wake up calls with this winning. It was one of those things where like, yep. they had to grind to get this done, and it didn't look pretty, but they got it done. But it's one of those things where the way Juve have been building over the years, you almost expect them to say and have like this sort of like we're going to go out there we're going to make sure that none of these teams even come close to us next year and i think that's what we're going to see well let's answer let's answer nathan's que- answer nathan's question here who is who is the closest to dethroning juve i mean you would have said inter but now with all this drama with antonio conte i don't know i mean i i i want to say our team i mean if can, but can milan carry 12 games of form like this into next season and can they do that yeah. consistency over a 38 game schedule i love zlatan uh, he is always going to have a special place in my heart he's still 38 i mean he did some amazing things here he i mean these older players we got him there was a three-month break here okay and yeah. these older players all got to regroup okay they're not going to get to do that in a 38 game schedule and europe and champions league or europa league or whatever and playing every three – Zlatan is not going to play every three days. So Milan are going to have to come up with some other answers. Okay, but I – you know, I'm encouraged by what I saw. Inter on talent, you look at their roster, mm-hmm. they're linked to half of Europe. You know, <laughs> the combination of all of that, they should be the next in line. Um, I don't know if Lazio can sustain it. Atalanta, you're not hearing anything about any of their players leaving. They could – they could run up and grab this thing. I mean, they absolutely showed hell when they when they tied Juventus. Look what they did when they when it was one one. They took out their three best players, put in their three best, put in three subs, and took the lead again. I mean, so th- they've got the ability to do it. I mean, there's there's potential. Who's closest, Martino? Um. Well, so I guess if we'll go with like Conte stays with Inter, I think it's Inter. If somehow he leaves, I really do think it's Atalanta. And I was kind of skeptical of him with all these competitions. I wasn't really like that high on them because I think Lazio is going to drop off. I said it. You could ask Matt. Lazio was the team that suffered the most from this break, right? Mm-hmm. They they benefit from once, once a week playing. Now it's a condensed schedule. It's going to be even worse for them coming up, right? Especially with like five, six, seven week break or whatever it is. Um, who knows with this league? Um so for me, it's it's Inter and Atalanta. Atalanta, man. I mean, look, they're just gonna reload. And if you they they have a real shot of beating PSG as well with no Mbappe, you get deeper in the Champions League. That's a lot of money. And and for a team that doesn't really need that much money to be successful, they go and get like you know a couple of defenders because I think that's the glaring weakness for them. They add more depth. 
man, like they have the confidence now. This is two seasons in a row, right? This isn't a joke. Like they believe in their system. They be- they believe in everything they're doing. They yep. they play Juve very well. They play everybody tough. They're not scared of anyone. They don't have like, you know, that small club mentality that you would think of a team like Atalanta would have. For me, it's them. I really, I really do. And they have to win a trophy eventually, right? Yeah. You you can't be playing all this great football all the time and nothing to show for it at the end of the day, right? Because we ripped Sardi and his guys for yeah. that. We have to we have to hold the standard here for them too. I think it's Inter. I think I think I think it's I think it's still going to be Inter. I just like the the nucleus, the core they're building. I think the spine, you know, even Handanovic getting up there in age, but Bastone is a stud in my opinion. They got Devraj, who's in the prime of his career. Even if they sell Skriniar, like they still have. In, in in abundance, they have talent. You have your strikers who are very productive. If they can keep Lautaro Martinez, that's also a big key thing here. But let's say, for example, this whole Conte thing blows up and they part ways, and it is Allegri. I argue that they're they're maybe better positioned under Allegri. Maybe it's not the exact system because they play two different styles of football. Mm-hmm. But Allegri has they he wanted at Milan against against odds coming into that position. He wanted it at Juve multiple times, despite the fans saying, oh, we got Allegri, like that's the coach we're going to go with. Two Champions League finals there. Allegri's proven it. If they get Allegri here, you can argue that they've, in a strange way, probably positioned them to be the anti-Juve and the team that can really you know, jump at them. And the, the team we haven't even really mentioned here, who has been the closest at beating them over the years, is Napoli. I don't know what Napoli's futures are. They're, are they a team that, they're going to be more on the decline. Are they a team that's going to more flirt with being a top four team and just kind of trying to jockey with some of these teams? Because the fact of the matter is they had a lot of their success when the league itself was a little bit thinner in terms of competition. Now you look at the actual top four who made this Champions League here. Lazio at 70-something points. Atalanta were one of the highest scoring teams in Europe. Then you had Inter who had 80, 83 points who made it a one-point differential for the Scudetto. So it's the pack is expanding. The, the, the competition's leveling out a bit, which looks good for the league. So I think it's going to really open up the pack in the field to really challenge Juve. And if someone can step in there, I, I think they can definitely be exposed, especially with possibly Ronaldo having a one or two years left. I think that can be something that really turns the tides in Italy and allows someone to kind of creep in there and finally knock them off their perch. Yep. I... I'm bouncing between Atalanta and Inter because at least at Atalanta, I know that I know what when we know what we're getting. We know it's consistent, and their scouting approach is a lot different than everybody else's. Um, they're going to buy who fits what they do. Who knew who who the, who the hell knew who Ruslan Malinovsky was before the season started? Okay, that's what they do. All right, and they're going to dig up two new guys that none of us heard of, and they're and 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 they're going to go out there and they're going to ball out and they're going to wow us. Because they fit what they want to do. Okay. So, you know, I, I like the system that they've got. And now they've got it in place. They've had an app, they've had a taste of playing some of the best teams in Europe. Um, and they know they can do it. Um, yeah, Inter, the whole thing has to get sorted out, obviously. Uh Napoli to your 81 million is an awful lot of jack for Victor Alciman. I've I've seen him a handful of times. I don't know if he's worth it. Um, but Napoli apparent De Laurentiis apparently thinks that he is. So um and is and is that that's hard up lot, to get bro. that's yeah. I think that t- to me, I think that's telling of the situation. I think this entire season has been very difficult for Napoli. Obviously, we all the whole thing with Ancelotti. They thought, okay, we're getting rid of sorry, we're getting Ancelotti in there who's won the Champions League. This is the guy that's gonna they go from being a team that's like 
we want to win. We want to win the league. We want the team that throws you away to have enough bust up. And then Antropati leaves. Then Cattuto comes in and wins a Coppa Italia. But now I'm thinking they're a team that really you expect them to spend. Like the only team that you really expect to, uh, in Italy to splash the, the type of money that they spent on Victor Osimhen is Juventus, right? Because I think a lot of these other teams have been positions where they can't. But this tells me. With some of the additions they made, even in January, Diego Demi, Labotka, you know the rumors that Allen may leave. You know Fabian Ruiz has a ton of interest from from Spain. Koulibaly has always been linked to the Premier League. I think there's one. It's it's one could be one of those summers of a transition for Napoli. Not saying that they're not going to try and compete, but you know that that spine, that core, that foundation that was built under Sari. I think they're really starting to veer away from that, and you can clearly see it, right? The whole Milik situation, and just in general, you know. The Hamshiks of the world, you know, possibly Haiza. Some of these guys, I, I just don't know what their future holds. And you wonder if it's a year of a transition for them. But I'm not going to rule them out. I would support Catuso through anything. And I would love if Catuso can get Napoli back to being in the conversation sure. for a title. Sure. If you're spending 81 for Victor Osman, you better damn well hope you're getting Duvan you get Zapata. Right. You, you better get damn right. well hope you're getting Duvan Zapata at, the, at a minimum. Yeah. So – um, and the French league is different. We all know yep. how a lot of people perceive the French league and how the, a, the, the, the production there stacks up to, to other leagues. There is an adaptation, uh, too. I mean, don't expect this kid to come out yeah. like gangbusters in the first 10 games. I won't, I don't think it'll happen. Most expensive African footballer of all time too. I think I read from the Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. another, that's a lot of pressure is all I'm saying. Yep. Uh, you know, Pepe, Leao, and now awesome. And Leo have a lot of money now. Um, so, uh, but anyway, um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of a little smattering of what's been going on with Serie A and what we think of things. Uh, let's get to, uh, uh, Gilia Patate one's question. Uh, I don't know what you guys, I didn't see this, but, uh, Zlatan MLS Serie A silly comparisons. Did you guys catch this? As Taylor Twelman. Oh, the Taylor Twelman thing. Yeah. If it, okay. So you saw that one then? Yeah, I did. I got, I, I, I understood where Taylor was coming from, but. It just like there, it's such a broader topic sure. than he thought, you know. Like it's not just Slatan simply in Serie A versus MLS. It's the players that Slatan is with in Serie A compared to MLS as well, right? Like who was the? Ba- I don't even know the best player on the Galaxy next to him, right? I, I don't. Right. I'm not a fan of the MLS, but I could tell you this: there was a handful of guys that might have been better than Hakan Celanoglu in the restart of COVID football there weren't many better than him and you know what like when you get guys like that around you you're gonna play fantastic so. sure sure yeah i i did I, I didn't care for what he had to say so I, you know you know you know bugs me the thing that bugs me the most and i think it, this is not something that just down to taylor twelman uh, obviously he's gonna be a homer for he's gonna be very supportive of he's gonna be very pro mls pro american soccer there's nothing wrong with that but it's yeah. this constant like Okay, Ibrahimovic scores the, this many goals, or he has this great goal, and he's tearing up teams. It's, it's like, are you really going to use Ibrahimovic as like the standard of saying, oh, see, look, Ibrahimovic is going to Serie A, and he's tearing it up there? Is MLS? Well, look at that. Look at the field. Like Ibrahimovic is a player who scored over five hundred goals in his career. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo to MLS tore it up and came back. Are you going to say, well, yeah, well, Ronaldo? It's Ronaldo. He's arguably the best player of all time. So 
for me, for them to use that as a, as kind of a, an excuse or an opportunity to say, I don't know if it was just I, for me, I think a lot of these pundits and analysts and stuff and commentators, they use it just to get a reaction. And that's exactly what he got. And I don't blame him, but we even see it with, I saw Grant Wall too at the restart. I'll never forget this too, where, you know, they talk minds and minds like I've called to Leipzig and they were saying, he was like, well, if, if minds do, if a team in MLS conceded wow. like this, they would never hear the end of it. I'm like, yeah, a team like Leipzig was challenging for the title of a major league. Like, sure. there's it's apples to oranges. It's yeah. not even close. So when I look at this, I'm saying, look, I have no, pro- I like MLS. I, I have no problem watching. I do enjoy it for, for the league. You. It is, you know, but why is it always some sort of comparison? Yeah. You're comparing a league that's in in, store, in in terms of the years it's been around in its infancy stage, twenty something years compared to some of these other major leagues who have built such a long history and culture over a hundred years. Like eighteen ninety nine, a golden era of MLS to compare to what we had in the nineties in Serie A and and some of these other major leagues. So it's not it's a moot point. It's not even a conversation. I think again, it's just a reaction, and he got a reaction, and more power to him. But I think it's just silly. I think it comes off as being something that you're just not really taking it seriously, you're trying to kind of get in, get a reaction, get a response that kind of yields a lot of attention and, and engagement. And I think that's what he got. With with all due respect, because I want to see MLS continue to be successful. You know, mm-hmm. we want football to be successful in this country, our football. Of course. A mid-table team in the English championship could come in here and win MLS. Okay. You know, Absolutely. so, yeah. So you want to, if, if, you know, we bring in a team to come and have an exhibition against the MLS All-Stars. If that team actually gave a shit, they would beat the MLS All-Stars at least 6-0. Okay? So we need to stop. We it's need also to stop. funny when they yeah. play, too. Yeah. The average player the average player in MLS compared to the average player in the Premier League, it's it's not even close. It's mm. it's literally not even close. If you watch any some of, any of these games from, the, from this MLS's back tournament – and you're looking, you're like, these guys are pros, and I'm not. There's nothing against them, yeah. but the standard is so low, and mm-hmm. it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's leagues across Europe that have just a ridiculous standard being just low. It's like, okay, this guy in some sort of Norwegian league is scoring 40 goals, and then he goes to a major league, and he can't produce the same way. Like it happens. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's telling to me when you see a guy like Joseph Martinez who scored six or seven goals in three seasons at Torino, a team that's kind of always been middle of the pack slash yeah. competing for Europa League spot, he can't even get minutes. He goes to Atlanta United and is scoring 60 goals in 65 or 70 games and winning yeah. the, the, the the golden boot in the, in the league by a wide margin. So what yeah. does that say about it? Is the quality, the defensive quality. There's nothing wrong with it. It's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, I didn't think we'd have to answer that today, but I wanted to leave that tweet alone. But uh Gilia Patate, thank you for bringing it up. So um so we we hit on a smattering of things here, City Odd, talking about the champions, talking about the contenders, talking about those relegated, the um uh the um uh Capo Caniere race. I yeah. was going to say it. Um so now let's get on to the awards. Uh we'll start with the dubious, uh the crap on a cracker eleven. And now we call this the crap on a cracker eleven because Richard randomly said this about I can't remember who even said it about uh a couple of years ago, and we just decided that's what we're just gonna call our flop eleven. Now we do this a little bit differently. Like places like gold.com will put players that signed and make a big money move, you know, think of a uh uh Gabigol, 
uh, as sure. an example, and they'll put him in the flop 11 because he didn't play. Well, he didn't play. All right. If he would have played and if he would have sucked, then yeah, I'll put him in, mm-hmm. but he didn't play. So you have to play and you have to play a healthy amount of games in this league and you have to prove that you were shit. Okay. To make this 11, <laughs> that's the rule. Okay. So okay. this is how we're going to do it. Now, the goalkeeper might come under some scrutiny and come under some debate, but this is who we chose. We chose Mattia Padding of Genoa. Um, and that's <laughs> and it's almost like a default pick because when you're looking at the goalkeepers on all of the bad teams, and we talked about this, um, Joronin and Gabriel and um, you know, Leticia, uh, you know, Tiam. This this Demba Tiam came in. If they had this guy, all, Spall had this guy all season, they would have had half a chance. Um, you know, uh, Musso, who we'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, some of these players, some of these goalkeepers from some of these bad teams, all were good goalkeepers, made a lot of saves, and their defenses would have given up a hell of a lot more. Uh, if they didn't have them around, so Mattia Perrin gets in there by default. You guys have a a, a different idea of that, or, or are we on the right track here? The only player maybe I would consider swapping for, um, because I think he did play a healthy amount of games in comparison to, um, you know, he he started the season and then Krajno came back and took over his took over his position. Um, that being Robin Olson, I, I think. Yeah, but Olson was Olson was all right. He was all. Yeah, he was, that was the, that was Roma the reason bad. why I wouldn't. I, I'm kind of on the fence because he was around and he was the goalkeeper yeah. when Calgary had that nice start. So, mm-hmm. and then he kind of was brought to the bench and, and Cranio came in and mm-hmm. you know, Maran got fired and they brought in Zanga and the wheels fell off. So I think it's, it's, it's more, you, I, maybe you would agree with me on this, Frank, and maybe you could clear this up. Putting Perrin here is not more of it. It's not an indictment of him and his performances. It's just a simple reason that, the pack was just good. There's a lot of good goalkeepers yep. in Yeah, there's some like a, an elite five or six that performed really well above everyone else. And even those middle of the road guys and some of the on the teams that got relegated were just strong and they were just a little bit stronger than Perrin was. And that's why we have them here. I mean, all of the other goalkeepers that you would probably potentially tab for this spot were all good. I mean, this was a great seat for all the goals that got scored and said, yeah, this was a yeah. great season for goalkeeping Martino. Yeah, no, it was. And you know what the thing with Perrin too? And, and kind of why I like to put guys like this in this position. You expect more from him. Yep. This was a this was a guy that we thought, you know, potentially before like Gijo Donnarumma came along, like this could have been a successor for Buffon, right? Yep. There's been injury history there. We know that. I mean, hell, even Juve bought him at one point. It still didn't make any sense to me. But we're here now. And you're right. Like we've had guys on a lot worse teams this year that have stepped up and, and did a lot better than he did. And it's mm-hmm. not an indictment, and we're not saying he's terrible, but relative to his expectation and his performance, he deserves that spot, unfortunately. Like, yep. he's not – like, he's he gets this nod, but the, the he's audience in, he's in by default. understand he, he didn't have Kepa-like season. Like, he yep. wasn't, like, Kepa bad. So oh, he was God, the yeah. worst amongst a pack of really good goalkeepers. That's, yeah. that's really all there is to it. Agreed. Agreed. We played a. We're doing a three-five-two formation with this uh, with our crap and a cracker eleven. So our back three is Ragnar Klavan of Cagliari, Nenad Tomovic of Spall, and Fabio Lucioni, the Italian Vinnie Jones of Lecce. That guy looks like Vinnie Jones. Um, but Ragnar Klavan, there's a reason why Jurgen Klopp couldn't get rid of him soon enough. Um, we saw the other day. Yep. 
Uh, Nenad Tomovic is just, he's bad wherever he's gone. And, and Lucioni, I mean, we had the UK Lecce guys on and they, you know, when we had an interview with them and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I'm trying to paraphrase what they said. They basically said he's not a Serie A player. Um, and when, you know, Lecce gave up a metric butt ton of goals this season, somebody in that defense has to be there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue against it. It's just look, man. It it was it was awful. I thought I I thought I would never see a worse defense than Pescara a few years ago when mm-hmm. they came up. I think the season after they sold like Immobile and and Verratti and all those guys. I think Lecce topped it. I think mm-hmm. they did. It was that bad, and yep. he deserves a spot. <laughs> it's, there's nothing more else to say. You know, I mean, we're just beating a dead horse at this point, right? So easy selection. Let me let me ask you something though. Sure, and this is going to be blasphemous if you're a fan of of, of Uruguay and, and Atletico Madrid and Diego Dean. I think he, he played well. I, th- I, th- I think he I think he came back and played. Well. I, don't I think, think he, he was. Serv- well I think he was serv- I think he was serviceable at best, but I don't think that he stunk it up. I don't think he was as I don't think he was as bad as the three we're talking compa- about. But, but in comparison, I know to your point, you know how goal does it right oh, in terms sure. of expectation. Yeah. You think mm. Godin's going to come in? He's going to be like, wow, we got a, like a, a team that player that's been, you know, to a Champions League finals has has won the league that you expected so much from him. I mean, I, I agree, he probably wasn't that bad. Then and then but a then screen he's, he's then. the line. He's close, in my opinion. In my yep. opinion, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not against the idea, but I don't think that he was that poor where I have to put him in here. There was um, other just bottom, just bottom of the barrel guys. Yeah. Here. Yeah, you've got so many bad defenders in this league that it's really easy <laughs> to find three before even talking about a guy like Diego Godin. We have wingbacks, and this is going to kind of tie into something we talked about before we went on air. Uh, on the right, Lorenzo Di Silvestri of Torino. On the left, Nicola Muro of Sampdoria. I mean, this is just the indictment right now of Italian fullbacks or wingbacks. And and both of these gentlemen are Italian. Um this is going to be the problem for Mancini when he puts his team out there uh, in qualifiers. We're not strong at fullback. Uh, Di Lorenzo is our best fullback right now. Um, and dare I say Davide Calabria over his last couple of performances would be would be in that conversation too. When that's what we're looking at for fullback or for wingback, we're in some trouble in that position. Um, but Di Silvestri is one of those guys that I feel like he just has the skill set to take it and run, and he doesn't. And and Muru was just on a bad, you know, on a bad Sampdoria team that found some enough for him under Ranieri in the restart to survive. Um, I thought both of these guys they're they're far more capable than what they delivered this season. Matt, you can go first. Yeah, no, I I think in in Muru too, he was a player that came up, you know, some some years ago. It had a lot of promise, a lot of potential that you kind of looked at, like, all right, Muru Muru maybe a player that you know goes to a, a, a more more of a top club, more or less top upper echelon club. But it's just one of those players who was just like a Caprari instance, like one of those players that like kind of when you were younger, you thought it was going to be bound for big things. And yeah, I, I think Muru has been, yeah, he's been he hasn't been good to say the least, to say the least. Yep. Yep. But Baragi, you can maybe put him up there too. Uh, again, I, you know, it's tough to find many that are worse than these two. But in terms of the fullbacks position that 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 it, Italy possesses, uh, yeah, it's it's very grim, and that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see who can jump in for uh, for Mancini at the Euros next summer. 
I think it's a fit issue with Biragi. Um, I think he's Looking a wingback. Yeah, I think he's a wingback, but I think that he plays to a certain set of tactics that Antonio Conte Antonio Conte is an everybody defends kind of manager. Mm-hmm. Biragi would like to play wingback and would like to be free and would like to just pump in 25 crosses and hope one of them hits a striker's head. Um, you know, and not have to worry about defending because he's got a left center left center back behind him that will cover for him. And he's got a midfielder that'll shift over and, and defend behind him. You know, Piragi wants a free role. He doesn't want to have to come back and do all this extra dirty work. So that's why he probably stands out as a bust in Conte's intersystem. He, 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 he strikes me as a guy that wants to be more free in his role. So, so yeah. Um, I guess, I guess I'll just uh, comment on it. Look, I, I think Torino, as a whole, were very disappointing for me. Oh, yeah. So Di Silvestri, in my opinion, I mean, look, this is also a team that sent us back Diego Laxalt because he was not even close to up to par over there too. I think I think he could have even been in consideration for this as well. Sure. Um, especially if you see if anyone's seen him play for Uruguay, like it's a completely different player. Um, and and it's really it's fascinating to see that. But again. I, it's it's just really funny that this is just not your father's Italy. This is not your father's Italy's defense. No. That you're you're really not gonna say. And it kind of breaks my heart to see all the Italian names that we're putting up here. That um, it's kind of like a no doubt that we have to put some of these guys in here. So right, I think I think for me, Di Silvestri is is probably the most bang on one. I think at least Sampdoria found some of that form. But Torino, man, I mean, look, it's please take Giampaolo. Yep. Another another Torino man makes it in the three man midfield. Sasa Lukic was terrible this season. Uh, Daniele De Sena of Brescia makes this team, and Alessandro Murgi of Spal also makes this team. Now De Sena, I think this is just a ma- an issue of a guy that the game has just passed him. Um, he's a Serie B player now. Um, you know, every time you know what, the handful of times that I got to watch Brescia and saw De Sena in the lineup, I was like, here's a guy with some experience that could kind of maybe have this thing steady and that sort of thing. Never got that from him. Um, Murgia, I mean, when Lazzari left, Murgia had to be among those to be counted on to provide the service for Patania, just didn't do it. Um, I, I have, I, I can't find a, I can't think of three guys worse than this. No, I, I really can't. I mean, I'm sure if I looked hard enough, I could probably find players that maybe perhaps I expected more from and then just underachieved. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're, when you look at this actual, you know, the formation of this 11, it's, they're going to be on more, you know, provincial slash bottom of the table teams. It's just, it's just all there is to it. And Bertrand was a player sure. too. I thought was going to do, um, was going to be a little bit more of an improved player. I think you, yeah, I thought he was going to be someone who on loan from Lazio would have, you know, with opportunity, with minutes, you know, maybe get that, you know, get that chance to kind of, you know, progress and move up the up the ladder. Yeah. But yeah, you're kind of starting to see when you get these players that get the minutes in a Serie A, in a top league, and they just simply cannot produce. They cannot withstand it, and you're kind of starting to see that that they're not quite the level of prospect that you expected. I think more or less in many ways you, you can make the comparison to Saponara, right? You know, the hype, yep. the attention that he got, and then he went away, and it's like this guy is not what we thought he was. Right. Now let's get to the forwards. There's two forwards, um, Federico Benedeschi of Juventus and Federico Santander of Bologna make this team. Federico Benedeschi, okay, I get number seven is in the team. I get Dybala is in the team, and then Iguain gets the occasional place, you know, but Federico Bernardeschi had 29 league appearances this season under Maurizio Sarri, a man revered for attacking football. And you would think 
the skill set of a player like Bernardeschi would drool at the chance of playing for a manager like Maurizio Sarri. 29 appearances, one goal, one assist. And for Federico Santander, there's a reason why they brought in Musa Berro. Um, it just uh, it wasn't working. I mean, and granted, he came on as a substitute in most appearances, but still played a healthy amount. And when you've got Ricardo Orsolini behind you, when you've got Roberto Soriano behind you, when you've got Nicolas Sansoni behind you, that's a dream for a striker. Uh, and you should be bagging goals left and right uh, with the service that you can get from those three guys. Uh, these are my these are the two forwards that we went with. Any any thoughts or any objections or anyone that probably should have been here? Bernadeschi is a very disappointing player in general. I just, I just, I just, it's, there's just something about him that you just, you just look at him and it's just, he's not cut out for Juve. There's just, he's not up to that standard there. I think it hurts him being there. I think we'll see a better version of him if he moves somewhere else, but those wages are ridiculous. And look, that goal he scored was his first since like fall of 2018. That's mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and you can't have that when you go over there with that fee. You're getting paid those wages. You play in a and it was a team. and it was a cleanup goal. Yeah, of a, yeah, that was his goal. And that, I think that was the one to just seal up the title as well, um, mm. mathematically, because um, we knew it was really just out of out, out of um, reach. But yeah, man, look, Federico Bernadeschi. It's it's crazy that we see a Juve player in this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it might be the first time in years, right? So for me, um, I first think he was an absolute no brainer. <laughs> yeah, yep. first uh, no brainer. Yep. Matt, you're on mute. Matt, you're on mute. He doesn't go. He's on mute. He's, you are on mute. There you oh, go. All right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I, I had to frank, the frank, the frank thing after issue there. Um, yeah, but, for, for, for yeah, but my excuse million. is that I'm old. Okay. <laughs> with, uh, the, with the forty million fee that he came over from Fiorentina, I think the expectations were really high. Um, he, he's played quite a bit for the national team too. So you're thinking a player that you know gets a, a good fair uh, opportunity with the national team makes a big move to Juve. You're, you know what type of player he is now. And I'm not saying that he's not a completely use, useless player, Fatsari. I think, you know, we saw what Allegri used and used him in certain situations in the midfield last year. Um, I think that maybe he's a player that, you know, if he wanted to prove himself at Juve, he would have to redefine the way he plays the game. Maybe he's a player that's, um, you know, is, plays as more of like a wing back or plays as more of a right back or something like that. He would have to learn how to defend, obviously, because we saw what Quadrado did, right? He made that transition. So I think he's that sort of player if he wants to stay at Juve. But I think anyone would agree, you know, the, the actual decline and drop in production from Fiorentina to to Juve, I, I can probably count one or two fingers the good performances he's had. I think one of them was actually in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid. I think he had a really good second leg, a really good first leg. Um, but overall, it's just a very, big, very much a big disappointment. And I think this year was very much telling of that that he's just not cut out to Martino's point for for a club like Juve. Yep. I mean, the only other striker that I would probably argue to be in this conversation is Babacar when he joined Lecce. Uh, did next to nothing. Um, so, um, so that's our crap on a cracker level. Let's get to the good stuff. Team of the season. Um, we rent with a four, two, three, one formation for this. I, we, at city, I sit down. We like our team of the season to be somewhat functional. Um, so our goalkeeper of the season might be a surprise. Um, you know, I mean, it's convenient to say guys like Handanovic, Tarkoja, the guys that are at the top, but Juan Musa of Udinese is our goalkeeper of the season because, 
We talked about good goalkeepers on bad teams. I can only imagine. I mean, and Udinese has a collection of some good players. They've got DePaul. Yeah. Sema came on and, and, and did really well. Lasagna Fofana. came in and scored some goals. Um, Fofana's a talent. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like uh, but this was a team, let's face it, they were struggling. But Juan Musso, you could count on for four to six saves a game, it almost seemed like. And I don't know where this Udinese team is without them. They might be flirting with relegation if not relegated so he got our nod for goalkeeper of the season martino yeah um this was something matt and i discussed that we thought Udinese prior to the season was going to be in this conversation for relegation mm-hmm. next thing you know you have a goalkeeper playing like this it not only takes you out of that conversation it launches you into a positive conversation now Udinese as a whole you're right like i like a few of their players i think they should probably capitalize on some of them, I think DePaul is going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, again, and those are not defensive players that we highlighted, right? There, yep. and that doesn't help Musso in this scenario. So when we talk about who their best players are and they're not defenders, and he's in team, like it's a no-brainer and it's fantastic. And you know, at the end of the day, like hats off to you if you're pulling off something like that because it doesn't happen often. And you know what? It's it's fully deserved because. We've seen guys like Handanovic, Gijo Donnarumma, even for example. We see them make massive mistakes. I can't really think off the top of my head where Musso really cost Udinese a game um, by a glaring error. Matt, Juan Musso, good with it? Yeah. I mean, look, I you know, I think it's it's tough because I think you know, there's we talked about it a little bit earlier. There's there's a lot of a lot of depth in this league in terms of talented goalkeepers. A lot of young, some more in their veteran years, some in their in their late towards the tail end of their career, like Handanovic. But you know, you could have gone down a Ruma. I don't think anyone would have argued with that. Um, sure. I, you know, I think he, in my opinion, you asked me on another day, I'll probably go with Donnarumma just because I'm biased. And I think Donnarumma is the best goalkeeper um, in Italy in terms of, you know, just his promise, his potential that he's accomplished so far. But I think if you're looking for some variety or if you're looking for someone who's saying, hey, I'm going to go against the conventional choice here. And I think Juan Musso is very much deserving of that. This uh, Beyond the the clean sheets that I think he led Serie A in, he was amongst the top yeah. in, in safe percentage. He didn't have the supporting cast. It's not like he had a BBC in front of him, like Wojciech Szczesny did or something Donovich had in front of him where you have a, a really stout defensive line and you're asked to maybe make one or two saves in a match. I mean, we, how many times do we see it, guys, where you know, you're having a team like Milan or Inter or Juve, they're – the goalkeeper is not even contested at anything. He gets a clean sheet. He picks that up. He gets one save, and it's a mishit rolling ball to him that he picks up, and there's your save. Like you can look at yo know, Musso the entire season and say, without him, he Udinese is not staying up, and it's it's quite clear that I think he's very much deserving of this recognition, and I think he's uh, a worthy candidate of this uh, this nod. I agree. I agree. All right, let's. Uh... Let's get to our back four. Um, we are going to have Robin Gosens of Atalanta deputize at right back, and that's a, probably an indictment at how bad right back is in this league. Um, our center backs, Stefan de Vrij of Inter, Francesco Acerbi of Lazio, and our left back, Teo Hernandez of Milan. We're Milan fans. I mean, Teo Hernandez... I mean, when we're talking about a 38-game body of work, we don't want to just talk about the COVID restart. And Teo Hernandez helped and played a huge role in keeping this Milan team afloat. And then the help came, and he still performed. Um, got into some card trouble in some games. You know, scored a goal against Napoli. But he's the best left back 
you know, I mean, you could probably, this is a conversation that you can go back and forth with between Teo Hernandez and Robin Gosens over who the best left back in this league is. But the fact that right back is so bad, it's very easy to put both of them in this team. 100%. I think Teo Hernandez was a, a great find. Uh, Maldini meeting him in Ibiza, you know, you're taking those. Yeah, the fact that he comes in and, you know, there was expectations were a little mixed, right? Because he wasn't a guaranteed starter. He had to have some competition from Ricardo Rodriguez. Many thought, and even Rodriguez started the first couple of games, if yep. you recall, guys. No, that's whether that's down to John Paulo's incompetence. That's that's a whole other conversation to be had. But it was quite yeah, clear that was in the field. when Teo Hernandez came in, and you know, look, a player coming from Real Madrid and Real Sociedad, you like you got to have something in there, right? There's something in that 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 game that's not being tapped into. Sure enough, Gomes comes to Milan. The, the place that, you know, many of these want away players come to and they just, you know, refined it, reestablished themselves. And Teo Hernandez was the breath of fresh air. I don't think many people anticipated this sort of impact. Um, at one point, I think he was actually Milan's top goal scorer, which tells you a lot about how how bad of a first half of the season that Milan have had offensively and sure. just collectively. So Teo Hernandez, Gozins, we all know Gozins' impact um, in terms of the play style that Atalanta wishes to play. Not only that, his production in terms of goals and assists, I think he had maybe something like eight goals, six assists. Uh, a Conti-like season, Conti's final season at Atalanta, he put up similar numbers. No-brainers. I'll take I'll take Gozins out of his normal position because of the point you just made, Frank, of right back just being very much uh, a, shit, a shit show. Yes. <laughs> uh, Martino, the two center backs. I, I think we've got two guys here that offer a very good blend of defensive positioning and awareness, um, guys that are good on the tackle, guys that are good on the interception. But I think guys that are also that also possess some technical quality in Stefan de Vrij and Francesco Cherby. How poetic we got both of these guys in here, right? Uh, one, one the replacement for the other. Um, yep. Cherby stepped in once de Vrij went to Inter. Listen, de Vrij, he's one of the most underrated defensive players in recent memory. I mean, mm. he... Every time, no one's putting him in these conversations, whether where you see him on the internet or wherever you may be talking to people. DeFry just doesn't come up, and he's been clearly Inter's best defender. I think he's free clearly transfer too. free mm-hmm. transfer. Yep. And you know, and the Dutch are terrifying on defense. Yeah, they are. They have Delict, Van Dyke, and DeFry. And DeFry isn't even close to being talked about as those two other guys. And a right. charity man. Love the guy. I mean, is there a better story out there in the league right now coming Hardly. back from cancer? Um, being like flopping at a club like Milan too, not having success there, and, and just building his way back up and was a key cog to just them being in this position right now. And the national so, picture too. Could he, possibly be the starter. I'll be honest, Romagnoli is one of my favorite players, and he's my favorite player on this Milan team. A Cherby earns that spot on the national team over Romagnoli right now. And that I don't I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't hate it. Sense. I don't hate it. Let's get into the midfield. And the two that we're putting in front of the back four, and we think this can work, Sergei milinkovic Savic and Luis Alberto, both of Lazio. Um, these guys both, I mean, if you want an indicator of why Lazio were so bad last season mm-hmm. and why they were so good this season, just look at the form of these two guys over a 38-game stretch. Um, I mean, Sergei's head was turned last year. I mean, there was no question about it. I mean, I think those first few games of the 2018-2019 season, I'm watching him, and he had this body language like, why am I still here? And now he stayed. He seems to have his he, – he might go. Who knows? Somebody might snap him up now. Um, 
Luis Alberto got it, you know, got back into form and got back to being the the playmaking midfielder that we saw from two seasons ago. Uh, these guys, I mean, Lazio had an incredible season this year. They exceeded everybody's expectations, and I, a lot of it had to do with the performance of these two men. Yeah, Lazio. Obviously, you know, we we everyone's been highlighting and giving the, the proper praise and attention to Immobile, rightfully so. Um, you know, but you could look in that squad and just find so many other players that are you know, very much valuable to the, the, the season they had. And Joaquin Correa is a player we didn't even mention. I think he's tortured sure. Milan um, plenty of times, right? You know, I think in the Copa time most recently. But, yeah, in that midfield, I think, you know, Luis Alberto is a player that, you know, you can expect him to get you know, double-digit goals, double-digit assists. He's so influential to what um, Mobile is doing and has been doing at Lazio since he arrived. But Malinkovic Savage is a player that, you know, I know some people are very mixed on him in terms of what they think his ceiling can be because I think the comparisons have always been coming in that he's like the Serbian Paul Pog, but he has a lot of these qualities. He's very well-rounded. His game is very polished, right, in terms of what he could provide a team. Um, you know, you started to see this year that he was very much uh, a, a huge piece in that midfield. He kind of was a a good contrasting midfielder to what we saw. Um, a big, physical, right in the air can contribute the occasional goal. I think he actually scored the winner goal against Inter uh, earlier in the season. So uh, I don't I don't have any 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 complaints with these two. I think they've been um, a team like Lazio had a great season, as you mentioned, and they deserve to have their fair share of uh, entrance in this team. The correlation is interesting, isn't it, Martino, with these two guys? I mean, look, it's it's honestly unreal because it. Milinkovic Savage was probably the most disappointing player for me last season. Oh yeah, and he just. This was the guy that everyone knew. Like, this is why Lotito was shrewd for, like, he wanted over $100 million. And mm-hmm. we saw that, right? Like, almost every single game they needed him to step up big in. I mean, that goal against Atalanta, I knew they ended up losing that match. But, oh, my God, like, that's the talent right there um, that you can see. And Luis Alberto, I mean, there's not many guys in Europe that play better balls than he does. Um, to some of his players. And you know what? Like the service is fantastic. The combination is great. And I think they were by far the two best midfielders that were in Serie A this season. I don't think it's even a conversation. I think everybody would, I think any manager that would have to face this three man attacking midfield uh, in behind the striker, any manager that would have to prepare for this would just shit his pants about every 10 minutes. <laughs> um uh, Domenico Berardi of Sassuolo, Papu Gomez of Atalanta, Atalanta, and Cristiano Ronaldo of Juventus. Wow. Um, I mean, the just okay. I mean, Sassuolo. I mean, first of all, I am so happy for Roberto Tizzerbi that he's at a place where he can hang his hat uh, and and have his system and have his players and and the run that Sassuolo went on here um, in the restart and. Sassuolo deserved to have a player in this team as a result of the way they played, the attractive. We we, we joked all season and called them the fun bad team of Serie A because they were going to score so much, but they also weren't going to keep anybody out. And then they just they started getting results against big teams, and then you had to take a step back and say, whoa, these guys are good. Um, and Domenico Berardi was at the epicenter of it all. Papu Gomez of Atalanta, Cristiano Ronaldo, we don't need to say a whole lot about these guys. I mean, we, they don't need endorsements from us uh, to be in this team. They're, they've year in and year out been consistent and gotten it done. But I'd like to highlight Berardi and his inclusion in this team, Matt. 
Berardi's been fantastic, and I think he's been around such a long time. He's uh, accrued so many appearances for Sassuolo. Um, obviously, everyone attributes him to being the one who got Max Allegri fired at Milan, but um, yeah, this season specifically, coming of age, right? I think you know one of his biggest issues is every talent. I think everyone knew he had that in his, in his locker. I think he's double-digit goals. I think it's like 13-14, double-digit assists. I mean, when you put up those numbers for a team like Sassuolo, um, who I kind of jokingly call like Sassuolo, uh, not like Sassuolo, right? Atalanta light because I think they play, you know, fast-paced, possession-based football. They score a lot of goals. You know, to your point, they'll leak in quite a few. But the Derby has, you know, administered a, a really exciting style of football. And sure. those, front, those front three, I think we could have, that, that they deploy, you could probably interchange if you would have told me, I'm going to go with um, Caputo here, maybe to squeeze him in somehow because he had a great season. He also yep. had a lot of assists. Or Jeremy Boga, who is probably the best dribbler in Serie A, had 11 goals and three or four assists. But I think De Berardi at his age, given all the pressure and all the people who overlooked him over the years as a player, like, okay, well, he's not going to go to a big club. He's probably not deserving of it. He's stuck in, in more of the middle, middle ground of Serie A, which is nothing wrong with that. But Berardi showed everyone this year that the numbers he put up, the fact that he was able to – Tame that temperament that I think a lot of people thought you know, knew he had, and that ultimately held him back from the next sort of uh, level player. I think Berardi's a great inclusion here. I think you probably could have also gone on Kulisevsky. Um, sure. He was one of the younger players. Sure. Like, you know, yeah. 21, he was earned a move to Juve. That, that, that tells a lot. But Berardi's a great shout in the sense that he put up the, the double digit goals and assists. And it, I, you know, I, I don't think I need to waste anybody's time by saying Chudo Immobile is a striker too, uh, tying the single season record with 36 goals. I mean, that four man attack, Martino. Uh, if I had to prepare for that, that would keep me up at night. I mean, look, that's it's honestly one of the better, you know, overall attacks and seasons of all the uh, like combined players that we've seen in years too. I mean, that's kind of obvious because of like how well everyone was doing. But I mean. Listen, Immobile, for all that, there's so much pressure on him. since Even since it was like the U21s, I believe they lost against Spain, um, that Italian team. If you remember, it was a very talented Spain yeah. team for a very talented Italian team. And the, and the pressure was on from there. You saw it with Pescara. It did great. They got moved up. He had that move. Fantastic at Torino. Flopped technically in two places with Dortmund and Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Comes back. Lazio, very nice place for him. Like, you know, you know, big fish, small pond kind of guy, right? This was – he deserved this. He mm-hmm. is this talented, and he is this good, and he can step up. And you know what? It's he, – he validated this now by scoring more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo when Cristiano scored over 30. That means something. So I hope for him, for his sake, for Azuri fans' sake, that something like this carries over into, into the summer because then he could – can you imagine Chiro Immobile's confidence if he plays well in an international tournament? Because he still has that, you know, Ventura, mm-hmm. you know, shadow looming over his mm-hmm. shoulders, right? You know, I hate to bring it up. I'm sorry. Sure. But, but um, <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing attack, and, and I've never seen anyone more deserving of it. And Frank, take another lap or a virtual lap. <laughs> you're too tired. You hit the nail on the head. And I looked forward to your tweets every time that he scored a goal. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I think I got people blocking me because they got tired of me tweeting that every time he scored. Oh, take, take it. It wasn't even like it was a surefire thing. It's like, oh, I told you Cristiano Ronaldo was going to But a three-time Capo Canieri winner, too. Like – that's 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 big. Like there's I don't know. Some of the names he passed like Shevchenko on the all-time scoring list. And said, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I've, I've said I've said it 
often here on this podcast about, and cause he's had his issues with Italy. Um, you know, Ventura aside, I mean, even under, under Mancini, we just haven't seen it yet from him. And I think it's just, I honestly think it's system related. I think in a two forward system, like he plays at Lazio, I mean, Torino, why was he so good? He played with Cherchi up front. Um, mm. Okay. He has a lot more freedom, can move around. He's got another guy absorbing attention from other defenders when he's a lone striker in a four, three, three, you know, there's a multitude of things going on. I mean, most particularly in Mancini's 4-3-3, his left-sided guy is right-footed wanting to cut in. His right-sided guy is left-footed wanting to cut in. There's a lot of space taking being taken away from Chido in that instance. You know, and I don't think he's quite adapted to that yet. You know, and I think that that's a system that he's just struggled in. Um, and I think that that's why it hasn't worked as well at Italy. Has it worked against the Lichtensteins of the world? Absolutely. Would You know, but when when you squeeze them and have to play against a better team, there's some struggles there. You know, I hopefully over the next year, there's time to rectify that. Um, there, was you know, of, meant- there was a lot of misuse of, of the, of the players too, that I think maybe attributed to Immobile not being or reaching the heights that he has reached okay. at the domestic level. I think, you know, you can look at the system, you can look at all the things, but you know, it's, it's really telling that the fact that, you know, when Italy were just desperate to get into the world cup for 2018, you know, Ventura is looking to bring on De Rossi instead of Insigne. So oh that told you that maybe he wasn't, maybe a lot of these players weren't put in the Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I think we just have to scratch the two years of Ventura. I yeah. mean, from... But I'm saying, but like in terms of the choice, I think he set a lot of players back. Sure. And you're even starting to see it now, like at that point in time, like everyone thought, okay, Chiesa probably should be getting more of it, more of attention. You took Jorginho until like what the final, I think, playoff against oh Sweden God. to actually get his cap with Italy, and he was one of the best yeah. midfielders Italy had. So I, I think again, it's going to be telling. It, the biggest, the biggest test is going to be can he do it? You know, when we are in this position, they're healthy. They have defensive options. They have a good goalkeeper. They have you know a, an abundance of midfielders who are very much quality who can service him. Now is the now it's time to put up or shut up. And if he could produce and, and get some goals i think he can get that monkey off his back and i think it could go a long way for italy two snubs give me two snubs that uh that aren't on this list that should be matt saying donnarumma and kuliszewski yeah okay no problem with that martino uh, i was gonna say ilicic and donnarumma ilicic and donnarumma. i don't have a problem with ilicic uh, and in fact i think we had him in this in the half season team um, I think, you know, it just, these other guys finished the season and I think oh, it just was an issue. It was an issue of, he didn't finish, you know, he didn't finish the season, ran into injuries and it's just an unfortunate thing. There's no denying Josip Ilicic's talent and I'll agree with you, um, on the Ilicic snub. Um, but man, for a second, for a second snub, I mean, I believe in this list too much. I'll go, I'll, I'll say don't remember too. I'll take the shortcut. <laughs> so, I, would, but was, I was, real, real cool, I was think I was just thinking of maybe Lautaro Martinez, maybe Brozovic, um, because I felt they both had really good seasons. But I think the fact that Milinkovic Savage, like when you look at who's ahead of them, you got to just like, I feel like, and that's what we talked about when we had this comp the conversation before we even went live, is that this, this 11 just felt right. I know there was going to be some yeah. snubs. And some room for interpretation, but I think the eleven B are more or less hit pretty hard. Yeah, I've got yeah, no issue with it. I mean, you could make a case for Duvan Zapata. You could make a case right. for Lukaku. Um, I mean, there was there was a lot of exceptional performances uh, delivered in Serie A. So um, that in mind, um, let's. I mean, our crap on the crap on a cracker manager eleven. I think we're all in agreement is Marco Giampaolo, right? Yeah. 
I mean, we're kind of cheating a little bit because he only had seven games. But man, I mean, I mean, that's if you if you're that bad in seven games, then you don't need a full season to prove that you're the worst, right? (laughs) I think I I think it's it's the fact that he yeah in seven games he not only didn't get results, he didn't play the guys like Benacer, he didn't play Teo Hernandez, but it's also telling the fact that he he very much underachieved with the squad that we would later see that Pioli came in there and made this team were unbeaten from the restart. You know, so they, I think we're one or two, we're going to be top three in points in 2020. And whether you attribute that to Ibrahimovic is another conversation, but not playing Rebic and Rebic was 11 goals in the second half of the season. Sure. So it's a culmination of things. And I think it's quite clear that Gianpaolo, given the performance that Billy was able to get from this team, that he's, he's the guy. That for that I'll position. do, I'll do, I'll do one more snub. That's going to be a little bit biased and it's Frank Kessie. Um, just because I think that once Pioli came in and simplified his role, you saw what Frank Kessie could be. I mean, yeah. in Gattuso's 4-3-3, I think he was asked to handle a hell of a lot more than what he's capable of doing. You know, he, you know, he's basically running 110-yard doggies from an inside right midfield position, um, where now he's part of a you know, double pivot with Benacer. It's a lot simpler for him. He can have that occasional run in the box like he did against Juve. Um, but his game got simplified, and by his game getting simplified, he stood out. Sometimes that happens. When a player is asked to play a simple game, they can stand out by doing that. So I just another I don't want to go too much onto the Milan players, but I think with Kessie, I think he's a player like Hakan, like some of these other guys over the years who have gotten so much stick and so much criticism. Yep. You know, Kessie was a, a guy who came in in the same that that big huge 2017 Mercado, all this all this expectation because of what he accomplished at Atalanta. Sure, big B got to understand the guy's 23. The guy plays pretty much every game. He played pretty yeah. much 90 minutes every game. And if you have that Iron availability Man. in the midfield that Milan have been lacking for years, in addition to Benacer, I know someone commented on that. That's that that was a good shot, Frank. I I think Frank Kessie giving him that proper uh, credit and recognition was was fair. Our snubs make the substitute bench. Let's just let's just leave it at that. So, yeah. Manager of the season, and I'm going to go first on this one. And my manager of the season is Gian Piero Gasparini. Um, before the season, we looked at this and said, "Okay, you're in the Champions League. You have distractions now. You can't do this again." Well, they did it again, and they finished third. Uh, this is Atalanta we're talking about here. The Atalanta I remember, you know, while you guys were dating cheerleaders. <laughs> was 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 just trying to stay up okay yeah. and you know now i mean they're a powerhouse and they went to the champions league and we saw the first three games and we're like oh god this isn't going to end well and then manchester city does them a solid by getting their goalkeeper and their backup goalkeeper sent off to where kyle walker plays in goal they get a point out of that they win their next two games and do just enough to qualify shred valencia and has everybody talking that they can beat psg a year ago a year ago, we are not talking about Atalanta having a chance in hell at beating PSG, okay? And then, and then, also being able to get them back into third and back into the Champions League next season, and scoring ninety-eight goals, and not, you know, I mean, Zapata scored a lot of goals. Gomez was instrumental. Ilicic till he got hurt, but they found other guys to do it. Marianovski, Muriel, Paslich. My God, if Muriel started every game, he'd be he would he would have gotten over thirty goals too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the job this guy did is astonishing. It's one of the best manage, manager. It, it exceeded. He exceeded my expectations this year. He's got my vote for manager of the season. Yeah, that's look. It's I'm not going to debate that. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I think you're right. 
But I guess I got to be a contrarian here and sure. go with the guy, Simone Inzaghi. I mean, look, this is relative to expectations once again. I did not have Lazio in the conversation for even Nobody going did. the Champions League, right? No one did. And if you did, you're a liar. And that's just, I, I don't know how to prove it, but you are. Um, so at the end of the day, just, you know, there's not a lot of depth on this team. There isn't that much to work with in terms of budgets. Um, it's still a high-pressure job being in the capital there. You're in the shadow of Roma, um, often, you know, just because Roma has more fans than they do. He had him there. I mean, you lose the DeFry, right? Um Milinkovic, Savic, and Luis Alberto didn't do that great the season prior to that. There's a lot of pressure on you. He exceeded it. Like, what they did was just unbelievable. And they were fearless against Juve. I don't think there hasn't been a team in a while that looked that fearless against them and really slapped them around in those games. And he won trophies to back it up, too. So, kudos to him. Congratulations on a great season. And for me, it would have been Gasparini, but I got to change it up. So, Inzaghi gets it for me. Matt, break the tie or go on your own. Either way. <laughs> I want to go Gasparini, but my heart is telling me to go Pioli. <laughs> and the reason why I'm going Pioli <laughs> okay. is because I think, again, from the time he stepped in as coach, the actual drastic change in this team and the drastic change in the fan base perception of the team where they're going and the fact they were unbeaten out from the restart, the fact that in 2020, I think they were amongst the top two, top three teams in terms of points. They were they finished and second in points everyone, since 2020. Knew, it's it's yep. difficult mid-season to, to come into a job like this, especially with the, how dysfunctional Milan have been. And not only that, with Pioli having all the pressure of Roth Ragnick and the players coming in, is Ibrahimovic going to do this? Is he going to be a player who could score goals for them? And the fact that he comes in and gets the results, but then he also has hot and playing like the out-of-body sort of player where you're sure. like, where was this guy? Kestia, Nasser, you know, Simon Kier, like getting these players to not only you know, get results, but to like play above their level and play a level that we haven't seen in years. I think he's a great shot. I think if, you know, for me, my, my choice would be Gasparini because I think you have to just, you have to feel like you have to, have to give it to him. But if we're talking about going against, you know, the, the norm here, I think Pioli is, is a fair shout just considering the fact that with what he had to deal with coming into this this position before he even signed Pioli out, you know, was being flooded in the, in the tweets by Milan tells you something that I think he changed the belief system that Milan have. And, you know, I think the fans are really backing him. And I think it's a credit to him for someone who, again, it's a diff Milan's one of the more difficult jobs in Europe. And he came in there and he, he did what he did. So kudos to him, but I'm going to go Gasparini. Okay. I, I built that, I built that Pioli in Island. I was the only one. Not, I pretty much, I felt like I was the only one not saying Pioli out. I was just getting a chance. Like yeah, I, I know I wasn't on the Pioli out, but I wasn't, I, I know, wanted to pay Spalletti. Like, you know, you give the guy a chance, let him coach. Like, let's see what he does. Like, no one liked Catuso, and Gattuso yep. and he did a good job. So, you know. Yep. So let's just hope that, you know, let's just hope that he can hang right. his hat here and that it's not a shelf life and it doesn't burn out like he's done at other destinations. It's the only thing you can think of. Okay, player of the season. I'll go first on this one. It's Chiro Immobile. 36 has only been done one other time. Um, and, uh, you know, penalties, no penalties. It's still impressive. Um you know, you know, the, probably the tip of the iceberg of a, of a great season for Lazio. And, um, you know, it's like I said, and, and CR seven breathing down your neck for the tie for the scoring title too to be able to, to accomplish all of that and get to 36 and to match uh, what Gonzalo Higuain did a few seasons ago. Um, I think all of that, uh, makes Chiro Immobile my player of the season. Martino. Yeah. 
No argument. I mean, it's not even – you can't. It's just 36 is 36. And honestly, like, even if Cristiano got the same amount of goals, he really did not show up in some games. I'll be honest with you. There were, so there were some games where you watch Cristiano Ronaldo, you're like, that's not right. It looks like Father Time might be catching up to him. With Chiro, maybe mm-hmm. one or two games tops where I said, that guy doesn't look like he has it today. For the most part, he had it almost every single week. And he matched mm-hmm. one of the toughest records you could ever match in any sport, along with one of the greatest of all time, breathing down your neck. So it's, I mean, it's near, nearly a goal per game in leagues. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's unbelievable. A lot yeah. of people will go with Ronaldo because he's on the team that won the title. And I have nothing against that. No, If you went with Ronaldo, I would say fine. No problem. He had over 30 goals. I mean, he had a great season. But to, to Martino's point, I think there was a point in time in this season where you know, Ronaldo wasn't hot. He had a great stretch towards you know, the second half of the season where he was, I think, like – something like 18, 19 goals in like 20, 21 games. Scored like in 13 straight matches. Yeah. Over Mm -hmm. the entire season, Immobile was more consistent. And again, I think what what kind of leans in his favor is the fact that he also had the assists too. And he also had the, um, the, the, the golden boot around Europe and beat, Ronaldo Lewandowski, who had a fantastic season for Bayern Munich, and Lionel Messi, who had, I think the first guy to have a 2020 season since Thierry Henry. So, that tells you he is roughly so the guy who's been the player of the year. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, we're unanimous on that. I think that's going to be the unanimous decision among all of Kelcho Twitter, I think. Speaking of Kelcho Twitter, let's hand out an award that Martino's nominated uh, n- nominated for here. <laughs> who won Kelcho Twitter? Your guys' first uh, your guys' first chance to be involved in this. Um, so we have um, uh we have a couple of uh, nominations here. We got a handful of nominations. Let me go through. Let me go through all of them. I I will put the hashtag on and say this one is on the board. So here are the ones we are reviewing this week. Uh, we will start with Chloe Beresford from uh, the Serie A show. Uh, in reg- in regard to Atalanta playing Inter, uh, just tuning in to Atalanta v Tablecloth FC. So. <laughs> In reference just, to in, Inter's jerseys, right? Yeah, we are not we are not getting away from bad mouthing that away kit, are we? It, um, it looked like like your nonna's uh, washcloth that she yeah. has in her drawer to clean up stuff. That's what their jersey looks like. So I think we had a previous nominee start a tic tac toe game on it. Um, so <laughs> uh, so it, the people are having a blast with that, that. one. Um, the real at real Don and Yelly. Always, uh, always, he's always making this list. I think wishing a tremendous and happy 94th birthday to at SSC Napoli. Wow. It seems like just yesterday that you sold your first dime bag of pot. Now look at how far (laughs) you've come. As they say, they grow up so fast. It's it's the funniest account on Calcio Twitter. I really, if, I really, I believe that. If 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 you if you're an, if you're a Calcio fan and you're not following that account, you are living life wrong, just totally wrong. All right, <laughs> at Wise Old BHJ, Brian Johnson is back on the board, and this was in regard to Milan's game against Cagliari. The uh, the commentator on Daza, depending on where you are, Daza and ESPN oh, Plus. This guy mispronouncing all these names is like having a bunch of new signings. <laughs> Oh, the Chanalulu and yeah, yeah. Piolo. Oh, the best, yeah. the funniest was that he <laughs> he reacted to a replay of Donnarumma making a save, and he thought it was a live play. Yeah. He didn't know it was a replay, and yeah. he starts freaking out like, "Oh my god, Donnarumma with this!" Save. It was like that wasn't didn't that just happen? Like that's in slow mo right now. I'm, yeah, I thought I was losing my mind. So it was pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> it was so bad. 
another Serie A show host, uh, John Solano, at Solano underscore 56. A sensational bit of self-sabotage from Fiorentina as they announced they are keeping Beppe Iacchini as their manager for next season. (laughs) An incredibly stupid decision. I agree. Uh, Iacchini getting another year at Fiorentina, something I don't don't know if Camiso is really that great of an owner. Camiso, uh, also the fact that he kept Montella on after after nearly getting them relegated tells you a yep. lot too. Anyone who wears a hat with a suit is not okay in my book. So let you Mihailovic. I'll let Mihailovic. I'll let it slide. Mi- Mihailovic he, gets Mihailovic he is committed to hat on too now, so he looks really really sharp. He gets a pass. Although yeah. you know, uh, if you, are, do you guys remember Cersei Cosme? I don't know if he's still coaching yeah. anymore. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the little. Uh, uh, Again, the old man hat going. Uh, he could he could pull it off. So, um, our 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 guest here, Martino Puccio, uh, from a tweet from July 29th, a video tweet of him uh, giving eloquent commentary to Gianluigi Donnarumma saving a penalty from Fabio Quagliarella. Um, follow at Martino Puccio, July 29th. I'm not going to repeat it. Just go back. Uh, no, you know, yeah. Go it's look. Not a, it's oh. not appropriate. Um... I was tamed. I look. It's just I'm surprised I got on there. I'm not. I'm not. These are way funnier than previous tweets. This yeah. was. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying it's cool to be nominated. I yeah. guess when I'm on here. Uh, Don Totti at Zaniolo underscore fan, uh, July 29th. Milan seven champ. Seven UCL. Inter treble. Juve twenty five Scudetti. Roma beautiful kits. I actually, I think their new kits are trash, but. I'm not a fan of them either. No, I don't, I don't like them. I'm not, I don't get the obsession. Um, I'm a lot lately. I don't know why. <laughs> um, <laughs> what they do, I have no idea. And then finally, Penne Advocate uh, at the underscore Corsaro. Um, Napoli, Serie C1, Coppa Italia 2, Supercoppa 1 in the last 20 years with a meme with Mahatma Gandhi. <laughs> That says absolute scenes. Get in, lads. <laughs> I think that one wins. I'm I think just, they, yeah. they got I such a great reaction. Dude. The funny thing is, too, is that like I think I think Cacho Twitter is undefeated. I think like if you just peel back the layers of Cacho Twitter and you go into like the actual team team fan bases and you look at like the tweets from Milan Twitter, like. Oh my goodness! Like I, I've never laughed so hard, but I think that one's that's that's a great one. That's a great um, one. I think uh, I think our winner, Richard's winner, a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember who said it. He says it's so great to see Milan scoring so many goals against small clubs like Lecce, Bologna, and Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that one actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that that, that, that that and the at Didi away with his uh, each player that he hates from every Serie A team. His little thread. I don't know if you guys caught oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, I that, did see that. That, in, that inspired this segment of our podcast. So, um, I'm 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 with the uh, Mahatma Gandhi mean. I, I think That's it's great. classic. Inspiring. It's not something you would expect him. It just works. So, <laughs> so Gandhi uh, and Serie is not a combo yep. I ever thought of. So, yep. At the underscore uh, Corsaro, C O R S A R O. If you want to give him a follow, uh, quick one, guys. Next season, top four. Well, let's answer uh, Tarong's question. That's a funny avatar, first off. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go Juve. We pick an actual order itself, or we're just gonna do the four teams make Champions League. Um, yeah, you don't have to predict the champion now, just go top four. Okay. Yeah, any order on Juve, Inter, Atalanta, Milan. I like that too. I'll go with that. I'll be lazy. Uh, Martino? 
Um, I'm actually going to knock us out of it. Um, put Napoli back up there. You're, just um, gonna, you're not a believer, man. <laughs> um, no, maybe it'll just be a reverse jinx. I don't know. Maybe you think I you had think, us in fourth this season and we, or, or you think awesome and scoring 30. I put, I put me no, on top four I mean, every year. It's like, it's like, answering, yeah, right. it's right. like playing, they're capable of it. They're going to be in it to the last match week. Absolutely. It, it's like playing jeopardy and answering everyone saying, what is the Mississippi river? Eventually you're going to be right. That's true. true. Yeah, look, I mean, there's no way. I'll say this. I don't think there's any way Lazio makes it back in the top four. I I agree. The easiest out of the top four. I think both Rome clubs will be out for sure. So Rome um, Rome is not. They're not even on my radar. I don't even know how they're going to replace Chris Smalling at this point. Sure. Sure. Come back. So we went a little bit longer than I expected, and I appreciate you guys uh, uh, taking the time here. But uh, we will put a bow on – uh, this 2019-2020 season and this edition of Serie A sit down and I'm going to allow our guests a little time to shameless plug. Martino? Martino? Oh, okay, sure. I'll go first. Um, yeah, you just follow me at Martino Puccio. Um, there won't really be any cussing videos anytime soon. Um, <laughs> watch a lot of basketball on other sports as well. Um, Stay to Play podcast we do with uh, Matt as well. So subscribe, follow, like it. There's a bunch of statistics on uh, – Calcio that we put up there as well. So you see some of those graphics and uh, thank you so much, Frank, for having us on. So I always hop in, um, get to see you guys when Miguel was on here a couple weeks ago, Milan, Miguel, nice guy. Um, and, and Richard as well. Um, hope you're enjoying vacation. So. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Matt. Sure. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo, as Martino mentioned, um, state of play pod, support the podcast. We cover Europe's top five plus a bit of main soccer. We just had our fifth episode. We, um, throughout the entire COVID situation, we've made some really great strides, including being nominated for the Football Content Awards as Best New Content Creator, getting a partner, uh, excuse me, a sponsorship for our YouTube channel and our podcast with The Athletic. And um, on our 50th episode, we just had um, Matteo Benetti on. So, yeah, just support us there. Subscribe on Spotify, iTunes. You guys can follow us there. And, yeah, we appreciate all the support you've been giving us uh, really the past two years since it started. Awesome. I'm at FTC underscore 21. Uh, mainly talking Calcio. We'll randomly get in a few sports, seeing my my bucks are about five points behind the Rockets right now. But Giannis is... DFS uh, stuff too, right? Yeah, DFS stuff, DFS stuff too. And I got smoked in Serie A this weekend. So... I, just, I I never play. I don't dabble in it. I get. I got burnt with all my Serie A bets this year, so I didn't want to even try. Um, I nearly <laughs> took down the contest on Wednesday, where uh, Cranio had I had Cranio in goal, and he had the ten saves on Juve. So, um, and I had Diawara just kind of as a punt, and Roma let him take a penalty. So that was pretty sweet. Um, but anyway, I'm at FTC underscore twenty one. Uh, Calcio DFS other sports. Uh, random stuff uh, you can find there. Uh, City I Sit Down, we have our own channel on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts are played, you can find City I Sit Down. You know the YouTube channel. You got it here. Subscribe. Drop a like if you enjoyed the content. Um, definitely do that for us. It helps us out. Um, at City I Sit Down on Twitter and Instagram. We're also available on Facebook. Uh, so uh, we've We've hit up all the uh, social media platforms that um, faithfully married men are, are allowed to hit. So, <laughs> um, but uh, um, now I've lost my train of thought. Uh, 
the chat, thank you guys for stepping in. Thank you for your questions. And most importantly to the listeners, thank you all. And I say this at the end of every season. Without you, we don't without you, we can't do this. Um, so as long as you keep listening, we're gonna keep putting out uh City I Sit Down podcasts. And this is the completion of our fourth uh season. We've been very, very blessed uh and and uh to be able to have connections with people like Martino and Matt to be able to jump on and, and our guests throughout the season. Thank you all very much. So um don't blink. We're probably going to have a podcast uh, recapping what went on in Europe uh, over the next week or two involving the Italian teams. And then we'll uh, start the ramp up for the 2020-2021 season. So uh, be on the lookout for all of that. So, And Martino, Matt, much appreciated. Thank you guys for coming in. We're going to have you on, we're going to have you on again soon, okay? Thank Absolutely. you. Really appreciate it. It was a great time. All right. And for that... Yep. And for Martino and for Matt and for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you as always for listening. And as always, be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.